I mean, well, yeah, like I, like I'm thinking like right now, like I like this morning I was listening to a clip about um, <laughs> how they want to tear down or they want to destroy all the parks, like all the parks in America because uh, parks are inherently racist. They're gatherings for white people or something like that. And this woman, she's on. T- this is on television, and this woman's like, I just feel so uncomfortable around white people, and it's like. What? <laughs> it's it's real simple with those people. It's I'm sorry that your self image is so poor, and I'm sorry that you're you were raised with such a lack of self image. But that's not my problem. It's yeah. it's really not. It's not my problem. It shouldn't be my problem. And if you make it my problem, you're not going to like it. Because you know what? I'm going to say something as someone who has you know been on the been on the bottom line you know because i'm back from when food stamps came in books and you kind of wished your mother would you know wait till some other day to go shopping so that people didn't see her with that booklet in her hand um parks were like the only place poor kids had to play and that includes black and hispanic it's the only place we had to play i mean you know and taking those away Taking those away just assages your uh, feelings of uncomfortableness and makes it so that if you really want to get down to it, where poor black kids have nowhere to play at all now. You know, they can't play out on the street because somebody will drive by and pop them one. They can't play in the house for whatever because, you know, they're destroying the goddamn house and stop making kids be in the house all the time. That's terrible. You know, that's, that's not good for a kid. They need to go, be able to go outside and play. And it just startles me that I have seen, well, we need the outdoor. I actually saw this article. The outdoors is primarily a white supremacist name. It's outside. How is it? (laughs) And it's stop doing this. Stop doing this. You know, and anybody who listens to this, you know, and this has gone beyond just writers and has gone into fucking talking about shit. Stop letting these people tell you to be afraid. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a huge secret as a white person. I'm going to tell you this huge secret (laughs) that, uh, that, these people that have their your best interest yeah. aren't going to tell you. Um, there's not white supremacists hiding in the bushes. Um, your average white supremacist, white supremacist, wouldn't be caught dead near nature because nature is where poor people are. <laughs> so I can tell you straight up, you're not going to encounter a random white supremacist walking down the nature trail because they don't like nature. <laughs> they don't like nature at all. Nature is for poor people. <laughs> and you're probably not going to see them on Twitter either. I mean, you'll, you'll find trolls, but like, yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to find, you're going to have to go to a really dark, carefully hidden place of the internet to find yeah, now them. That storm, now that Stormfront's gone, yeah. you know, which is a shame because I used to get such a kick out of looking at some of the Stormfront headlines and just laughing my ass off. <laughs> Especially during the Obama administration, because holy oh. fuck, Stormfront went absolutely batshit, tinfoil wearing, waving fucking, waving their fucking, <laughs> their their self published manifesto at you outside of Seven Eleven, and then they banned them from the internet, and I feel sad <laughs> because that shit was great. <laughs> gold. <laughs> that was gold right there, but you know they they got rid of it because you know oh it might hurt somebody's feelings. If you're taking if you're taking Stormfront seriously, uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like all those people who like it's like yeah. right now with things going on, and they're like, "Oh, clearly this is all the Jews." It's like it's it's funny. Oh, it's like God. who actually thinks that? 
who actually thinks that. I know, I I know people who think like that. It's, I actually know sad. people who un, who unironically believe that <laughs> stuff, and I, I mock them straight to their face. How can I be friends with somebody who believes like that? It's easy. They let me mock it right to their faces and make fun of them. That's fair. Yeah. That works. Are, yeah. Oh, the Jews controlling anything. Are they the ones that got you fired for showing up to work high on meth? No. <laughs> Shut the hell up. <laughs> That's why your ass got evicted. It wasn't a Jew that got you evicted. You showed up for work high. <laughs> Easy one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just life is life is a life is a goddamn riot. And it really is. And I mean, the the best cure, they proved this. You know, I'm going to tell some everybody something. I'm going to tell you right. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, before all this stuff started, the Ku Klux Klan consisted of four guys from the FBI, two guys from the NSA, a guy that mistook this for an AA meeting, <laughs> and some idiot all of them cultivated. <laughs> the, the, the KKK was literally the... Uh, the cops go to arrest meth dealers who were also cops who were there to arrest meth buyers. <laughs> and why? You want to know what destroyed it? You want to know what destroyed the KKK and all and all the racist militias and shit? You want to know what actually destroyed it? Yeah. Being made fun of. You know. Uh, I... But but the guy who wrote Superman infiltrated them and then mocked them in the Superman comics. Um, people mocked them just. Just horrifically during the 70s and 80s, you know, just mocked the shit at him. Porky's 2 and Porky's. Basically, teen flit, believe it or not, believe it or not, the people who want to sanitize everything we see and do would want you to get rid of Porky's because it's misogynistic toward women and everything. And yeah, it is. It's a product of the times. But um, if you watch those, the whole actual premise of them are not get tits any way possible. It's racists bad. I'm not kidding you. Porky's had a racist's bad message. Oh. Especially the second one. I need to actually watch those because I've heard of them, but I haven't actually seen them. Um, a girl I was dating thought those movies were funnier than hell. She thought they were absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and she'd watch them on HBO. She was a little bit weird. But out there. <laughs> hey, she was she was she was out there. <laughs> <laughs> But, but you know, I really like her. She was great. That's fair and that's the other thing that I hate about the modern modern discourse is everybody has to think the same. And I, I, I call that intellectual masturbation. If yeah. everybody in your group think, thinks the same, all of you are just standing around in a circle jerk. You're jerking each other off. I mean, I've got friends who are liberals. I've oh, yeah. got, you know, I've got friends who are I don't have any friends that are anarchists because if you're pretty much a complete anarchist and you've seen what's going on and still are an anarchist, <laughs> I'm going to wonder if you're capable of wandering around without a helmet on. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, the, the, what's going, what's gone on in history. History shows that, you know, you're kind of a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but anarchy is great. Yeah, it's great. That's why the first thing humanity did was, you know, establish a pecking order. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Well, it's like, and I've, I've seen people, like, I saw some really good arguments for, it's not really, well, like, I, I don't, it, it's not actual anarchy, but, it, but it's basically anarcho-capitalism. Yeah. And 
and like but so. and like but here's my my thing with that is it's like it's like I've heard people put together you know these really it's like it's well thought out it's like okay you know it's like here's how this would work and i i have heard i've seen the actual dumbasses and they're like oh well there's no way we would know how this works it's like you you support this and you have no idea how it would work that sounds yeah. like a brilliant plan you want you want to know what anarcho-communism <laughs> is or anarcho-communism oh god that, yeah that's the, oh that's that, that's oh not, god sorry. anarcho-capitalism what yeah. anarcho-capitalism is mm. is fourth grade playground recess for all eternity where somebody bigger than you comes up and goes, give me your shit. That's all it is because, you know, if there's no laws, there's nothing stopping from somebody like, you know, me from rolling up with, you know, lots of weapons and going, that's a mighty nice house you had. Get out. Yeah, oh, well, I could hire private security. Well, you know, <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I'd be willing to bet against your private security. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be willing. I'd be willing to fight. I, I, if there was no thing, I'd, I'd be willing to fight that game. And they don't realize that there are people like that out there because I have met ter- during my life. I have met terrible fucking people, you know, and people that I I was like, you know, I could do the entire world a favor and fucking drown you in a mud puddle, <laughs> you know. And those are the type of people that in anarcho communism or anarcho capitalism, those are the guys. Who rise to the top? You know, I'm sorry, they may not like The Walking Dead, but Negan is a realistic representation of the guys who rise to the top. Um, and I, you know, it's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. True facts. Well, yeah, and I and I think I ultimately it boils down to it's like it's just obvious. It's like, well, what when is you know, name a time in history when anarcho-capitalism worked. it's like never it's never happened um it's never worked and it's like you know and it's the same thing with with everything else it's like well what form of government should we have it's like well let's see what see communism yeah Uh, mm. hey it's it's only killed a hundred million people so far let's Try it again. Try it again. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. If, 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 if communism with a car, it would be a, it would be a 198 early eighties Pinto strapped with dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I love? You know what I love? You know what I absolutely love? Mm -hmm. Fuckers on the internet who were born in the 1990s telling (laughs) me what Eastern Europe looked like when I had to be one of the ones that took those assholes food because they didn't have any. <laughs> you know, I remember what it looked like when the wall went down. You know, oh, well, I lived in Eastern Germany, and my my father was a member of the Stasi. Then you can fuck right off. I don't want to hear from you. Well, I was born in 1993, and I remember how Eastern European looked. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't, because everybody dropped so much effort that the place looked a hell of a lot better four years later. Because you know, half the world was like, let's not have an entire half of a continent starving to death and eating each other out of cannibalism. Let's do some shit. But no, you got these people coming up and going, Com- real communism has never been tried. We know what else has never been tried? Drowning you in a mud puddle. Why don't we give that a shot? <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's more than just, it's more than knee jerk communism bad. It's, you know, literally stop preaching that shit to me. Yeah. Like when, when did it work? When did it actually no, work? <laughs> never, it never worked. <laughs> Never work. Anybody tells you, oh, it just hasn't been tried, remind them that beating them within an inch of their life hasn't been tried either. Yep. 
Yeah, no, it's insane. And just everybody's down with it. All the, the younger people down with it today. So it's like. You want to know why? And, you know, I do. I do blame my generation. Um, I blame my generation because, you know, when we reached old enough to start getting jobs and stuff, we didn't fire the boomers out of a cannon into the ocean. Um, what happened was we let the boomers apply laws and make the state have more power in a family's home over the children than the parents. We let the boomers vote in right laws and vote in laws that gave the school system more power over raising the child than the parents. And we let – we tried the whole it takes a village approach written by a communist witch and – it turned out an entire generation of dysfunctional crybabies. And yeah, it not all, and you know, there, somebody inevitably listens, well, not all of us are crybabies. No, not all of you are. Just like not every, but the thing is, is just like not every hippie was at Woodstock, every one of them will tell you they were. So, you know, and I, shit, I forgot what I was saying. I, that fucking irritated The fact that they took away a parent's right to raise their kids. I'm not saying, you know, that the kid needs beat 24-7. I'm saying, let me tell the kid fucking no. And, you know, all these people that are advo- that's right, all these people that are advocating for communism and everything, oh, we should have communism. Have never wanted for a fucking thing in their life. And well, they have. They want what they don't have, but they want it given to them, not have to work for it. And so when they're told, I'm sorry, but you've got to work eight hours a day at a really shitty job and it's really gonna suck. They're like, no, communism now. You know, it's like the thing about, oh, everybody, everybody, you know, don't pay your landlords. You know, I hate that because do I think rent is too high? You're fucking right, I do. Have I hated paying rent? Um, yeah, yeah, I have. You know, yeah. I rented, I rented a trailer with where the show would the stove would shock you if the if it was raining and the wind was blowing from the north, and the kids' bedroom would leak if the wind was blowing from the east. I rented a shithole like that, and it still cost me, you know, six hundred fifty dollars a fucking month because I couldn't get any place else. But I paid it because, and then I yelled at the guy that he needed to come fix this shit, or I was going to burn the place down. But that's just me. <laughs> 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 but uh. But, you know, you still have to pay rent. I'm sorry. And if you don't want to pay rent, save up your money and buy fucking land. Buy a fucking house. I can guarantee you right now, I can guarantee you, you can go on Zwillow and find a two or three bedroom house for less than $30,000. The thing is, though, is you can't live in your nice little city. You've got to move out to us dirty country folk. So don't stand there and bitch because you can't get an apartment in L.A. for less than $2,000 a month. Why I live out here in the Midwest with shitty internet because I chose to and own a house. Don't start talking. Everybody who owns houses needs to be put up against the wall. No, fuck you, you commie whore. How about you get against the wall? In Minecraft, of course. (laughs) Well, and I think it's especially important now. I think people are realizing it's like, um, hello, self-sufficiency. Uh, actually, well, yeah. it's kind of frightening because then there's a portion of people who uh, uh, don't want that self-sufficiency at all. No, it's no like, they don't. No, hand they don't. everything they over. They want everything handed to them. Uh, I, Nancy, um, if you're black and listening to this, number one, um, good for you for being black, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway – I'm going to tell you a big secret. I'm going to let you on a secret that none of your white friends have ever told you. This is this is a really big white secret, so listen close. Do you know what white people 
call a poor white person? Loser. There it is. That's the big secret. There you go. There you go. And that's why these that's why these losers are screaming, we want communism because, you know, I love this. I love this. Uh, here, here's a good example. You know, oh, I have a I can't vote because I have a felony for assault for bashing the fash. I'm addicted to drugs. I have mental illness, but I don't take my pills for it. But capitalism has failed. Yes, yes. You're a loser, so capitalism has failed. You know, and people are like, oh, that's spoken like somebody who's never had any difficulty. Motherfucker, I worked for Walmart for a year. <laughs> no, no, no. I worked in a slaughterhouse mucking out stalls. <laughs> but hey, and then, you know, but hey, my my boss used to pay me a night, uh, $200 in 1980s money to get a shovel and muck out the mag maggot pit, which was an afternoon. Oh. Fuck. Two, oh, shit, that was, that was... That was just an afternoon for 200 bucks. Are you fucking kidding? I could take my fucking girlfriend out for that. I could fucking, I could take her out. I could put gas in the fucking truck. I could take her out somewhere nice. I could take her buy a dress. I could get her a dress and some shoes, take her out to the dinner and still have money left over just for mucking out a maggot pit. Who cares? <laughs> just a just maggot fucking, pit. Just hose off when you're done. That's fair enough. God, yeah. I... You know, and people are like, oh, you know, you wouldn't work a job where you were demeaned. Hello, I was in the army. <laughs> <laughs> For the first year, I think, hey, you would hate shithead pretty much. <laughs> it's like, if anything, it's like, well, I don't know. Like you were saying, like the army just isn't isn't what it used to be. So yeah, can't yeah. even. My favorite thing, my favorite thing, and this 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 is actually uh, a thing. There is a famous quote by an Air Force general. He was a very very important man. He was also African American. And when asked if the military had a racism problem, he said, the Marine Corps does not have a race problem with racism. They treat everyone like they're black. <laughs> that's that's the army I went through. <laughs> I, remember, I remember black guys in basic training being like, man, this shit sucks. <laughs> Terrible job. Well, I, and I, I guess I, I meant to ask, like, like I mean, was it just out of necessity that you that you joined the military, um, or were you? I, did you feel like you were drawn to it? I was, in a way, I was drawn to it, but at the same time, um, for poor white trash, there was no real social movement. Um, I was never going to get into college. Um, I learned a really valuable lesson in high school. I learned a hugely valuable lesson your freshman year you took sats right i took the sats and um i scored damn near perfect and they had an award ceremony and they're saying they were going to be giving little plaques to every to the top 10 scores in school you know i'm sitting there with my fucking sat thing right my friends are all looking at it there you know my sister's like wow you know and they called the top 10 up on stage Guess who was still sitting in the bleachers? Me. Mm -hmm. And the person who won was this little white preppy girl with her perfect hair. And, you know, her parents had already – she was a sophomore. She was 16. Her parents had already bought her a car and sitting there, and they're talking about how she got the highest in the school. And my sister went to stand up, and I put my hand on her leg, and I went, don't. Because that taught me an important lesson. There are no options for people like me. So 
I went in to see the recruiter. Um, I was in juvenile hall at the time. And I saw the recruiter and I took the tests. And they came back. Well, they let the they let the educational liaison know. And the educational liaison said, hey, uh, we're going to load you into a car. you got to be on your best behavior. You've got to wear this orange vest that says Department of Corrections on it. We're going to take you in so you can pick your military job. And I took the military job, and the judge was like, okay, I'm going to let you go because you joined the military. But you end up back in front of me before you leave for the Army, and I'm trying you as an adult. And he said, I don't care if it's jaywalking. I stayed home for two weeks. (laughs) I had my girlfriend go get shit. (laughs) I just stayed home. And the recruiter came and got me, and there I went. And, you know, the Army got me to see the world, uh, more education. Back then, after you'd been in for a year, you could kind of use your GI, you could use your, uh, GI Bill to actually take college courses while you were in the, uh, in the military. So I took a lot of correspondence courses. Um, I maxed out my civilian and my uh, military education the first two years I was in. And when I got out, I had the, G, the, the GI Bill, so I went and did that. Um, I had options that I would have never have gotten because um, I think out of all the people I knew from the trailer park that I kept in touch with, nobody's still alive. You know, um, drugs, health complications, stupidity, uh, death by misadventure, fighting with the cops. Uh, Somebody I knew, uh, somebody I knew got in a fight with the cops and cops shot him. That's what you get when you fucking start swinging a tire iron at a cop. He's going <laughs> to shoot you. But nowadays, if that cop shoots you, that uh, that cop uh, gets a murder. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? Freaking... You know what? This is the big thing, you know. When my sister went, hey, guess who got shot? <laughs> I was like, who? And she told me, and I started laughing. I was like, holy fuck, I thought, they ki- I thought the cops had killed him years ago. <laughs> he was one of those dudes... You knew this shit was coming. Oh. Yeah, sooner or later, cops are going to shoot him because <laughs> he's just stupid. It was written on his forehead. Yeah, yeah, it was written on his forehead in junior high. We all knew he wasn't going nowhere. He he wasn't going to be a Nobel Prize winner. He wasn't going to save people's lives. <laughs> we all knew what he was. Goodness. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, now, you know, to go back to your original question, I this all affected my writing. It all did because um, one thing the Army had that I wasn't used to, except for when I moved out and got a job and moved into a shitty fucking single wide trailer in the middle of a field, until my paycheck started coming in from the slaughterhouse, I didn't know if I was getting dinner that night. I grew up, you know, where food was iffy. Food was an iffy thing. Yeah. And it affected my writing because it <sighs> – Um, it affected it, another way it affected my writing is the majority of the time when you read military books, you read about officers, um, or you read about middle class kids. Uh, you read, and it's all heroic, and it's all it's all either anti-military. You know, that's pretty famous. I, I don't know how many times I picked up a book that was military fiction, and it turned out to be written by somebody who had no idea how the military worked, who was going army bad. <laughs> War bad. Uh, yeah, we all know war's bad. We've known this for thousands of years. That's why we try to avoid it. <laughs> but uh, I decided 
to write about a character who was none of that. He's not an officer. He's not officer material. Um, he didn't come from a middle class background. His eyes aren't full of stars. Uh, if you asked him, you know, what's a hero, he'd tell you somebody, somebody that gets you killed to earn medals. I think he says that at one point. Um, it's, I wanted to put the nihilism that I knew a lot of people showed. Mm-hmm. That a lot of us saw. I mean, oh my God, I've got, I could tell you stories about officers I met that, <laughs> can you make me one and bring it here so I can have it on the front porch? Please. I want a cigarette. I haven't had a cigarette in like two hours. But, uh, oh, I mean, officers that were, you know, highly regarded by their fellow officers that weren't worth the powder it took them to blow them to hell. <laughs> I mean, but you know, you never read those when you, you know, when you read, when you read military fiction, you never read about those guys, you know. Uh, you never read about the captain who tells some eighteen-year-old private that if he doesn't let her, fi- if he doesn't let, if she doesn't let him finger, her, she's not going to get promoted. You never read about that in books. I knew, I knew when it happened. You know, I, I knew a couple times that shit happened, but we handled it back then. You know, we didn't let him get away with that shit because you know when you're on a when you're on a ten-mile run through the woods, all kinds of accidents can happen. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, the captain slipped and fell because, <laughs> you know, you threatened one of my little troopies and I'm her NCO. And that means that I've got to protect her because, you know, that's my job and I can't go any higher ranking than you. So <sighs> me and this guy from the motor pool are going to be- beat your face against the tree. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a good way to handle things. You know, that no. is not good. But, you know, it was how we did because she's my responsibility. And uh, I like to think that I was a terrible enough person that she felt comfortable coming to me and saying, uh, hey, the major said that if I didn't suck him off, I wouldn't get promoted. And me to go, well, <laughs> I'm going to go talk to the major. Oh, wow. And, you know, there, there was, I never got any false claims, surprisingly enough. Um, not, that's not a hit on women. That's a hit on people. I never got any false claims. Um, I know a couple other guys did, but they were the, but it was pretty obvious really quickly. But, uh, yeah, so I think it all affected my books because we don't, if you read those books, you are not seeing the good side of the military. Oh no. You are seeing the awful side. Well, I mean, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to step out on the front porch with my headset on and hopefully it doesn't, I live in a Faraday cage, so (laughs) I live in a house built in 19, actually 1895. So the paint all is lead. (laughs) That's fancy. (laughs) Yeah. Fancy lead paint. Tastes good. Yes. Good for kids to eat. Seasoning. Hit me up with another question. Oh yeah. Well, I was, I was going to ask you actually about, about, nihilism specifically because it's just it's it's just it's layered on there just so thick and everything well um when i got to the unit um we found out that our life expectancy was actually prior to the declaration of war that we would be killed in either the opening nuclear strikes or via uh covert action that our life expectancy was T minus, not not T plus, <laughs> oh. and that affected us. Um, 
we also knew we, that our unit directly was going to take a nuclear weapon to the face. Uh, we were actually prioritized over the tankers because tankers without ammo are just big cars. And um, so it really affected us. Um, but it, it was the 80s, and you know, you grew up. You grew up with the hippies screaming that everybody's face was going to melt off from radiation, and you grew up with the press telling us we couldn't beat the Soviet Union because they were an unstoppable juggernaut. What's funny is, in hindsight, you know, they were a, they were a giant flaming trash pile, <laughs> but we didn't know that at the time. You know, we thought we actually thought they were we actually thought that they could at least if they couldn't beat us, they could literally go toe to toe with us. Now we know better. Um, and anybody says, oh, they just would have done human wave. I'm here to tell you, we had enough ammo to stop those human waves. Because <laughs> one thing that America has done, has prioritized since World War I was force projection and force multiplication in order to withstand human waves. Mm -hmm. Which is why you had 12 drunken special forces guy kill 400 Russian mercenaries like a year or two ago. Because we specialized in force multipliers but at the time we didn't know that so we're all very nihilistic um to be honest if you went to 19 if you would have went back to 1990 before russia really fell apart and you said that we were all going to live past the year 2000 everybody would laugh at you we were all supposed to die from nuclear weapons and you heard it in high school teachers would tell you this shit in high school um, if there are any hippies in your family, they would go over lovingly about how we needed to convert to communism or we'd get nuked. Um, so nihilism was not only part of it because, you know, U.S. Army and part of it because uh, NBC warfare, but it was also because of growing up in the 80s. Growing up in the Cold War was a lot different and… I'm telling you, most of the snowflakes you see out there protesting stupid shit would not have survived. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be tough as nails to survive all that. Like, oh, God. Look, at, look at the playgrounds. Look at the playgrounds we grew up with at school. Did they have bark? Did they have soft rubber? No, it had gravel. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. everybody everybody in my generation knows that girl that tried to do a cherry drop or a lemon drop and hit her head and never came back. And if she did... She wore a bucket on her head and went to the class with the other kids who were a little bit slow. Oh. We all saw it. I still remember the sound that girl's head made and the way it, her fucking skull and her scalp just cracked open. They hauled her off, and then she came back toward the end of the school year, and she had mittens pinned to her, vet, to her shirt. That was just part of it, you know? Yeah. It was part of the risk. It's part of the risk you played. You know, fucking no, no helmets on your bicycles. You show up, you show up to school with fucking gravel in your face, and the teacher's like, "Rode your bike, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, I, oh my god, you're bleeding, but rode your bike, huh? Mm -hmm. Don't bleed on the desk. <laughs> well, and I think this ties back to to what we were talking about earlier with you know the criticism about you know broken people because I, and it really just just what you were saying like reminds me like I'm not sure if you've read this book. It's uh, it's it's um. I think it was published in the this the sixties or the seventies. It's called uh, "Let's Go Play at the Atoms." I have, but I don't remember much about it. It's a really familiar title. Yeah, it was. I I think it was. It's kind of a cult sort of book now, and it's 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 had kind of a second life 
because uh, it's been it's been taken out of the old you know sort of sort of pulp books from back then and yeah. it's been republished. But uh, I recently <laughs> read it and I was just I, at first I, w- I went along with it because because the premise is essentially it's it's about um. Uh, sort of just a middle class family, or an, even an upper class family. They're 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 pretty well off, you know. The 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 parents are taking the kids off to piano lessons and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I think you're going to love hearing this because um, essentially the idea is that it's a group of of the, these kids in the family, and the parents leave on some trip. And they're going to be gone for two weeks, and the nuclear war happens. I wish that's how <laughs> that oh. actually would have been very interesting. But but no, what happens is, you see, their age is very strange because they're they're young enough to I guess where the the parents are like you need a babysitter or you know something. So there's a babysitter, and uh, they end up middle class middle class and above had babysitters till they were like sixteen, where kids like me oh. had babysitters and. Until your older sister got tired of watching and wanted off to go drink wine with her friends. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, because 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 maybe the book will make more sense. And because to me it sounded totally like it just fell apart for me. Because because essentially these kids and I guess they must be in middle school or high school. The they end up tying up the babysitter, and they keep her captive, and they are essentially trying to cover it up. And, and, you know, now they rule everything and uh, nobody rules over them. And these kids are, they're, they're basically hardcore nihilists and they become hardcore nihilists and they weren't abused. They didn't, they didn't have any kind of rough upbringing or, or anything like that. Like nothing traumatic happened. And yet they tie up this babysitter and they rape her. And oh, uh, I can, I can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, I, well, cause I'm reading this. I'm like, and essentially the thesis of the book is that these children are just born with this innate evil. Uh, and I'm just, I just wasn't sure. I, like, I just didn't, it just didn't feel real to me. I could believe it. Um, I've looked in people's eyes and saw nothing human in there. And these were, these were, these were terrible fucking people. <laughs> you know, you look in their eyes and there's nothing remotely human in there. And you know it at an early age. That's fair, but like a whole family, I could see it. Like, um, I could, I could see it. I mean, it would be an interesting literature if I saw it on TV. I'd be horrified. But think of the stuff that you see. Think of the stuff that never makes the national news that isn't like in the local news. Some of the stuff you read about, and you're like, oh my god, that person isn't even a human being. That's true. That is true. And, and I, we've got a large enough population where there's more of them now. Yeah. As I was reading this thing, I was just like, because the the writer apparently he was, uh, I mean, he died a couple of years after the whole thing was published because he was an alcoholic, and I, I guess something about writing the book was so, and I could tell, I could tell, oh god, I could tell the guy who wrote it was very depressed, especially by the end, because what happens is, you know, spoiler alert, um, they kill her. <laughs> they, well, they they kill her. They end up, yeah, they escalate it, and they end up coming up with this plan to like pin it on. Uh, an immigrant, like a Mexican immigrant, and oh, um, and they succeed, and they get away with killing her, and the family moves on as normal, and the the the, the parents come back, and everything's just dandy, and um and so and so as a story, it's kind of it's very frustrating and very very unsatisfying, but I, but I was just mostly just kind of taken aback, just to, it's like wow, the, these kids being so cruel and and evil and just going along with it and just having. Yeah. 
no morals at all. Well, with small group dynamics and aberrant psychology, you realize that all it took was the dominant sibling to be evil for all of them to fall in line because they looked to the dominant sibling for how to act. With the parents gone, there was nobody to tell the dominant sibling what to do. And if the dominant sibling is a psychopath, they become psychopaths because of the example of the dominant sibling. Crack a good dose of nihilism in it, and you've got a recipe for disaster. And there was a large dose of nihilism because you were told you were not going to live to be an adult. You were not going to live to enjoy life. Um, it, I couldn't believe it the other day I was on the internet, and I saw somebody talking about how, oh, when I get older, there's not going to be Social Security. And I remember being told the same thing. I was told by the time I was 20 that Social Security would be empty. There would be nobody would get Social Security. And I was like, huh, they're bringing that back out again. And I see all these people, you know, how can I survive in a world that – and I think to myself, you know, how the fuck did any of us survive? You know, um, I think it's because the world was different. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's take a good example. Have you ever watched the original RoboCop? You know what? Actually, no, I don't, I don't think I have. For those of you listening, the original RoboCop, when I saw it – um, I, I wanted to see Robocop because I saw the ads on TV. So me and my friends got together and we got our girlfriends and we went to the drive-in and watched Robocop. We're, it was – now it's – it says rated R and I remember it being PG. But then I remember all my friends saw it too. So you know, maybe it was different because uh, things – you know. Because they didn't give a fuck about kids. You know, you weren't traumatized by what you saw on TV. TV was fake. So, you know, uh, yeah, things were different back then because, you know, they didn't give a shit about kids. Um, it's really weird to say that, but it's true. Um, I don't know. Let's uh, let's move to the next question. So we aren't, yeah. we aren't just re rehashing everything else again with the no, same with just different words. I mean, it's it's interesting though because like I know I guess we can start. So I mean, kind of tying to our first question. Now I'm I'm going to start with uh, the the uh, the fan questions here, and I may just okay. kind of reword a couple of them here, or kind of kind of take them in a slight different direction. Did you always have a sense that you were going to write about all of this, and you were going to write a series? No, I had no clue. Um, I tried writing for a little bit and I was unsuccessful. So I decided that, and it's funny saying this as a writer, that I was going to get a job in the real world. So I went and got jobs in the real world, <laughs> uh, bartender construction, um, worked in a cannery, um, provided security on fishing boats. And cause at the time China was jacking fishing boats. So I'd fucking sit up, I'd, I'd sit on the boat with a fucking M16. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because uh, wasn't really talked about, but you know, two or three times a month, uh, boats would show up that there was no crew, wow. and the holds were empty. So yeah, <laughs> um, that's a time. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a thing, but uh, <clears throat> I had no clue that. In a way, it's hard for me to believe I'm a writer. Um, it started out. Um, my brother wrote. My brother wrote one, and then I wrote a follow-up to it. Well, my brother died a few years back. Uh, not surprising. 
uh, he always he didn't pay attention to his health and all that shit because fuck it when like you said we're not living the next week. Mm-hmm. But uh, he wrote that and I was you know he me and him were talking over it and he was like hey you want me to add you in on it and I was like no nah, fuck no I don't want to be added to a fucking story because at the time I was really uh, I was really um. Well, the best way to put it is I was really fucking crazy. And uh, I was living out in the fucking, I was living out way out in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't have a phone and shit like that because I wanted left alone because I, I didn't like people at all. And I, did my, I, I worked at the mill and I went home. That was it. I went to town. My wife would go to town and buy supplies. I like going to town because people were there. I don't like people. My brother said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about when, we've, you know, when we got there. And I was like, nobody gives a fuck about that story, man. Nobody gives a fuck about that place. And besides, the place is gone now. Who cares? And he wrote it, and then he wanted me to write a follow-up to it. Um, eventually, I did. I wrote the, uh, I wrote the one. I wrote the follow-up. Um, but the original one, the original one, I was there uh, for part of it because I was busy in other places, and I never thought that I'd be a writer. Um, mostly I was one of those people that you sat there at the bar, you know, we sat there in the back of the bar and we fucking BS till three in the morning drinking beer. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, I never thought, never thought I would be a writer. I just kind of, you just stumbled into it. Yeah. It's kind of later on. I do it mostly because people enjoy reading it and I also do it. A lot of people think that I've got, you know, social political messages in it. I guess I do. But I don't intend to. I'm going to come out right out and say it. The curtains are fucking blue, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not blue to symbolize this depression. No, the curtains are fucking blue. So. <laughs> Is there a sense of kind of terror in revisiting all of that? Um, I'm actually taking a break from a couple months. Um, it was, there's some dark shit that happened, that went down. Um. Uh, going over some of it, I mean, how how did a friend of mine put it? A friend of mine read, and my fr- a friend of mine has read all of them. Reads he reads them, and, and he says, you know, and he says the funny thing is, is more of this is true than people m- both more than they less more than they believe and less than they think is true in these. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the treatment was largely true. The way we were treated, um, the attitudes are largely true. Uh, the the physical locations are true. The deprivation and the almost malevolent, uh, the almost malevolent negligence toward you was true. Mm-hmm. Um, the fucked up people <laughs> are amalgamations of several fucked up people. Um, but it does get dark writing it because I know what happens at the end of it. I know what happens to all of them. I know that ultimately, ultimately their lives were meaningless. In the when you're writing this, when you're reading this, you can look, you re, you know that the Soviet Union collapsed, and everything that Stillwater and his friends did. Every bit of suffering, every bit of pain, every bit of sweat, every drop of blood 
was ultimately meaningless and covered up by a government who were ashamed of what they had done and ignored by civilians who were embarrassed that they'd screamed for it to be done. So ultimately their lives, ultimately their lives were wasted. Whatever they could have actually been was wasted. And it's very dark writing that because you know that all these people either die terribly or have their lives destroyed. You know, there's, I've, there's, I think 12 books finished already. I mean, right now I'm trying to catch up. There's a gap in, there's a gap in a few places and the fourth book is in a gap and I'm, I'm fixing it. And ultimately I'm writing about these people. I'm writing about these people for the fourth book. And I know what happens that, you know, their lives are meaningless. Their lives are wasted. And it's very, very dark to write, and I've decided to take a couple months because I've written it for 10 years straight. Um, sometimes two weeks at two to five to 10,000 words a day. I wrote a 300,000 word volume. It's called Texas Nights. Uh, it involves a character that hasn't been yet introduced to the series. Actually, she was introduced, I think. No, she's not. She hasn't been introduced yet. But um, it involves her coming to grips with the mod, with the modern post Soviet Union army and being an, and being promoted and being promoted to warrant officer I wrote that in a month I wrote a 300,000 word book in a month but it was a very dark thing because she is a product of 219th and she's been put in stateside and where she's supposed to care about people and she can't because because she can't care and writing this, you know, I still want her spoiler. Still water loses everything. And writing this and knowing this, it's, it gets difficult sometimes because the apathy and the nihilism that I'm transferring onto the words kind of affect me, you know, um, still water is ultimately a symbol of waste. Uh, the same way that John Rambo in the first Blood books symbolizes waste. Stillwater resembles waste. Uh, millions of dollars having been wasted in training him. Uh, 20 years of his life, wasted. Um, everything he might have been or could have been, wasted. He's a testament to waste and abuse. And ultimately, nobody was held accountable for what happened to him. Nobody ever will be held accountable for what happened to him because then they, number one, would have, have to admit he exists. And number two, they have to admit what was done to him. Um, funny thing is, is that um, Stillwater is the type, despite the fact he's never a high-speed army ranger, he's never, he's never special forces, William goes special forces, but Stillwater ends up getting a new identity when he leaves the military because... They've got to cover him up. And not because, you know, oh, he's some super secret death machine. They're covering up because he's an embarrassment. So it's a little, it's a little uh, dark to write. And I do have to take breaks sometimes. Um, My wife also tells me to take breaks because she watches me slowly stop smiling because 
a lot of it is based on either what me and people I knew talked about or the things I experienced or witnessed. And it's really, really interesting. Um, a good example, I broke my arm and I didn't get medical treatment for four days. Mm. And, you know, it's just the thought of that now. And at the time, it was just the way it is. I mean, the treatment yeah. I got was the crew medic pulled my arm straight and then splinted it. I just, just like, my God, like, aside from actually, you know, writing the books, like, do you feel personally that you're haunted by that nihilism? Actually, it is something I had to overcome. Um, hmm. That's actually an interesting question. Um, yeah, I still struggle with it. Um, personal, really, really personal note is um, because of my upbringing and because of where I ended up and because of everything around me, um, I wasn't important. Um, I was raised that boys eat last. Um, it's uh, children, it's little children, uh, girls, uh, mom, and then boys, and then dad. That's the order of eating. And it's from there it spread to, you know, we don't matter. And I don't matter to the point where I had to get therapy over the fact that I didn't matter. Now, a lot of that is my own head. Lot, you know, the military didn't do that to me. They didn't help it, but they didn't do it to me. But um, the nihilism is something I struggle with. Uh, it's, it's really odd. The nihilism has affected me to the point where um, I, have, I ended up with a fucked up fear response. <laughs> um, funny story with that. I called my... I called uh, the veteran support line in the middle of the night. I'd woken up and I'd experienced something I had never experienced before in my life. In my dream, I had gotten up because so I could hear noises outside. And I, in my dream, I get to the back porch and I reach for the knot, for the lever on to open the back porch. And I suddenly feel something I never felt before. My fingers begin to shake, my stomach twists, and I have this overwhelming fear dread to the point I can't move. You know, it's like I'm paralyzed. And my brain is just saying there's something out there. And if you open the store, you're going to die. Right? And I call, the, I call the vet's hotline. I'm talking to this guy. I explain it to him. There's dead silence for a minute. And he goes, you've never felt this before? I was like, no. He goes, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 41. And he goes, that's fear. I'm like, no, it's not. Fear is when your mouth gets dry, your hands shake, everything slows down. Well, your hands... Stop shaking. Everything slows down. And he's like, that's not fear, dude. That's what you just experienced was. The nihilism had actually made it so that, you know, I had difficulty processing things. It was really weird. And so, yeah, when I'm writing, sometimes it puts me back in that. Because, you know, when I'm writing, I have to remind myself of where it was and what it looked like. The... I guess what 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 is it that that's that saves you from the nihilism? Um, my wife and my kids. Um, my wife and my kids, 
And the fact that despite all the screaming, we live in one of the best times in human history to be alive. And, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, it's so dark now and it's so scary now. No, not really. It's not that scary. You know, it's it's really not. And I've got friends. You know, surprise, you know, I'm able to make friends. And uh, that always shocks people for some reason. But because uh, I'm such an asshole. But uh, what pulls me out of it is my wife and kids and my grandchildren. Um, one of my daughters, it's, it's a miracle she's here. Um, she's suffered a severe head trauma and she's goddamn lucky. Uh, and she didn't suffer any neural defects. And, you know, that's amazing. So whenever I'm feeling really, really nihilistic, you know, I go out and I hug my wife and I look at my kids and I play with my granddaughter. And I look at the fact that where I am today compared to where I started out is unrealistically beyond. And I'm able to look at all that and be, I'm able to be thankful for what I have. Unlike a lot of people, I'm thankful for what I have, not lamenting over what I don't have. I mean, I cannot remember the last time. The last time that we did not have enough food in the house for everybody was because the power had been out for a week because of a natural disaster and everything in the – we'd eaten all the canned food. So I had to to go down and – I had to go down. I had to get in the truck and drive through the disaster area and get food and bring it back. And it's the only time that my kids have missed a meal because we didn't have it. So I can look at all that, and it pulls me out of the nihilism that I went a long ways. I've been a long. It's it's been a long ways. So that's what I can look at. Because it's just a it's just a total shock because you didn't even expect to have you know these days to begin no. with. No, no. Um, it's something funny. My wife, my wife thinks it's a riot. Uh, I always laugh that you know we weren't supposed to make it this far. Every day past the year two thousand, fuck yeah, I'm alive. I mean, I wake up and it's not fuck. I'm alive. You know, I remember those days. I remember those days. When I was like fuck. I'm alive. But I'm like fuck yeah. I'm alive. You know, <laughs> and that keeps the nihilism from hitting because none of us are supposed to make it past the year two thousand. I never thought I never thought I'd live this long. I never thought when I was younger I'd live this long. I thought I was going to die in a fucking ditch surrounded by a pile of brass or being converted to free-floating vapor. I never thought I'd make it this far. So the fact I've made it this far, that I've gotten old enough that you know now that warning of all those broken bones that come back to haunt me is true. <laughs> it's it's a good thing, you know. I'm not like, oh, I'm getting older. Woe is me. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> I win, you lose. <laughs> this is the best. I'm getting older. Yeah, this it is. is awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it's great. It's amazing. And people don't realize how amazing today is because all they can do is look and cry. They can't go, holy fuck, we fucking have it. We have it so good. You know, nobody dot. You know, you don't have hundreds or thousands of people dying a fucking year of polio. You know, it just fucking rules. It's, it's, like I'm just, it's, I'm it's blown different. away. <laughs> it's different, and that keeps me from sliding into the nihilism. Because 
we've gotten so far and we've we fucking made it so far compared to where we were a hundred years ago. You know, I'm over 50. So, you know, I'm happy with where we've gotten, you know, yeah, there's still, there's room for improvement, but there's always room for improvement. And, you know, life is never going to be perfect. Everybody is not going to be equal. I mean, I work, I have to wear glasses. You know, that means that some people have eyesight, you know, some people are eyesight privileged. No, no, no. It's just, I have to wear glasses because I'm scraping the face with a shovel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually that's probably not why, but I had to get glasses like six months later. So I always blame her because I can. He's <laughs> had a bad case of the myopia. <laughs> yeah. But, uh. You know, I keep sli- I keep sliding in nihilism. Right now, I can hear. I don't want to go to bed. I want to do more fireworks. If you would if you were to go back in time, thirty years, when I was twenty years old, and tell me, I will have been married for almost thirty years. Actually, no. If you, yeah, if you were on thirty years, going to tell me, you will have been married for almost thirty years. You will have had four children. You will have grandkids all of your kids were are going to live nothing none of them died on the playground none of them were hit by cars i would have laughed in your fucking face and told you i'm not gonna make it to 30 i'm gonna die here (laughs) so that keeps me from falling into the nihilism but sometimes i do have to take a step back this interview is continued in the next episode 